We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by Blue Wire Pods. Shout out to the new company. I love it here. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You guys know where to follow me over on the Twitter, the X, whatever the hell. At uh, Mike Dugar is my name on there. M I K E D U G A R. Shout out to everyone who's watching and listening on our YouTube channel. Uh, Seahawks Man to Man is the name of the channel. Uh, Seahawks man, the number two man. Thank you for all of the love and support there. We appreciate you so much. Uh, Chris, go ahead and talk to him. What is going on, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that is CKID206. All right. As those of you guys on YouTube watching, you can see that I'm coming to you from another poorly lit hotel room. Um, this one in San Jose, California, after the Seahawks lost yet again to the 49ers. Uh, for the fourth time in a row, the Seahawks lost a game this season, and it is the fifth time, uh, playoffs included, that the Seahawks have lost to their rival 49ers. This one, as many of the other ones have been against the 49ers, was not all that close. Uh, the score was a little closer than usual. I think the Seahawks covered for the first time since 2021 against the 49ers, which is really, really impressive considering that like the spread today was, what was that? 13 and a half. Uh, it got up to 14. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Uh, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty, pretty big beat down today, man. Uh, and they, yeah, they covered, they covered. And that was with Drew Locke uh, playing. It was just, Chris, this was probably as even though the score, didn't indicate that it was a beatdown. It, in effect, felt like another one just because of the way that it looked, the way guys were running free, um, the way guys didn't tackle, the way the Seahawks couldn't run the ball, the way that they couldn't move the ball on third down. Like all of the same things that all the things that happened in a beatdown happened today. It just so happens that a ball goes off Brandon Ayuk and lands in Julian Love's hands, and then Ayuk fumbles. Uh, that's like two, I won't call those fluky plays because those are good plays by Julian tips and overthrows and then a really good punch out. But like everything else about this game felt like another beat down or at least another one where the Niners looked like they were in a different class, whether they are or not, they looked like it again. And it's four straight Chris. We are in unchartered territory. Seahawks have never lost four straight under Pete Carroll. And now in year, what is this? 14. 
I want to say for Pete, they have the worst losing streak they've ever had with him. And it does not look like it's getting, they look like they're getting worse as the season goes on. This is the second straight season. They've at one point been in first place and then just fallen. What feels like a cliff and a fourth straight man. Chris, this is a team in a very bad place. We'll get to it. We got a lot of great questions as usual, but this is a team in a very, very, very bad place after losing four in a row. They haven't won in forever. We keep smiling in our screenshot and our thumbnail that goes on YouTube, uh, and we look like jerks because they keep losing. But, like, frowning would make us look weird. That's why, if you guys are wondering, that's why we don't do that. Like, frowning would make us look just like, it would look very strange. But, man, yeah, we keep smiling in these pictures, and every week we're finding a new way to talk about why the Seahawks lost another game. To be honest, I don't even know who found a new way. I mean, shoot, you said it earlier. <laughs> That's the true. Way, they've lost four straight games, and there's nothing new to this pie. It's not executing. Guys not being where they're supposed to be. Penalties. Turnovers. Am I missing anything? At this point, I feel like we can just replay the last four episodes for you guys. Just re-upload it and say, just change the title. Because <laughs> we talked about the we same could. stuff. We probably get a few different questions here and there, but... I'm running out of words to describe what we watched on Sunday against the Niners. The first play of the game. They start off oh, getting man. their ass beat. The first play, <laughs> the first snap. Usually the first snap, it goes for two yards. Defense. The first play goes for 70-plus. They run it down to the three. You're lucky Christian got tired. Shout out to Boye <laughs> Mafe. He didn't give up. So And Spoon for making him have to uh, de decelerate. To making yeah, Christian have so to slow they, down. Yeah, it was good hustle plays I, by the I, Young Bucks. We talking like we don't have the video available. I mean, at this point. Oh, that's I, true. I, you do the, have it. Thank you for grabbing the, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This the, look at this. This looks like Madden on all on rookie. You just hike everything. The hole opens up. Everybody's blocked, accounted for, and all you have to do is run. Just yeah, this is this this was I know uh, people who are listening on our Spotify, Apple, or Blue Wire. Like, you can't see, yeah. but like y'all saw it, y'all saw it. It, it. We're not we're not breaking <laughs> it down like play by play with the, with the clicker and the circling guys because we don't <laughs> need to. It's just really just to, to illustrate how like how yeah we have to illustrate now because like Chris said we're running out of like superlatives and, and, and descriptors to really go through all the ways that the Niners find ways to generate explosives against the Seahawks defense. Like it really is just it is. Um, it's it's befuddling, really, to see like a play. It's just like a little toss. Like usually, you know, the Niners and the and the Rams, they've they've found some ways to you know dress up some stuff, put some motions in. You know, I mean, we saw what was that two years ago? The Niners put like Trent Williams in motion. You know, sometimes they can get yeah. tricky and, and generate a big play. Chris, there was not one motion on this play. It was just a regular just toss, you know, outside, and it's just brought on up hat. perfectly. Yeah, it's yeah. it's hat on hat, and no one gets a hand on Christian McCaffrey until he's seventy yards down the field, or maybe sixty plus, or or whatever. It's it's just totally, totally, totally unacceptable, basic stuff. Um, and that type of play, I think, speaks to something I wanted to open the show with, um, and it's the supporting cast around the quarterback. Because Chris, I guess the one new thing we had in this game was that Drew Lock played in the game um, instead of Geno Smith. That is something new. Uh, he started, Drew, that is, his first game as a Seahawk. He played because Geno got hurt in practice, which is just super unfortunate for a quarterback who can't get touched in practice to hurt his groin so bad that he can't play. Um, that's just crazy, 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 crazy. I didn't see the play. We don't get to watch practice, but super unfortunate. Drew gets to start, and 
Chris, I feel like today I wasn't one of those people who, um, cause me and you have agreed all year that like when people have called for like, Oh, Drew should play instead of Gino. We've kind of been like, guys, you're bugging. Like you put Drew in it's, it could look, it could easily look worse at the, and it's not going to look any different, you know, a best case scenario. And today was a very good example. They put Drew in and it looked largely the, the same, same. <laughs> in, in part because the, the things around the quarterback have have and continue and will continue to be the problem or bigger problems than the quarterback itself. Pete's been trying to tell us this for like two months. Like he's finding mean ways to say it, nice ways to say it, that, yeah, the quarterback can play better. However, so can literally everyone else. And, and that includes the coaches as well doing their part. And today was a good example. Before t- Drew touched the ball, they were down 7 nothing. Before he touched the ball, man. It's not to say Drew played great today, but I feel like today was a really good example of how Drew, Gino, Vinny Testaverde, or Patrick Mahomes, if you put any of those guys in a 2023 Seahawks, you're going to have the same issues. Like you said, Chris, the defense is going to give up explosives. The defense is not going to tackle. The offensive line is not going to block on third down. The run game is going to be inconsistent. Some of the play calls will be wonky. They'll have penalties. All of these things will happen whether they have prime Michael Vick back there or Nathan Peterman. You know, we're not, it's not really changing the overall truth, which is anyone you put back there, anyone who plays quarterback for the Seahawks in 2023, perhaps beyond, but anybody who plays quarterback for, for the Seattle Seahawks in 2023 will consistently have to outplay his supporting cast on both sides of the ball and in the headsets in order to get this team where it wants to be. And the truth is that is an unrealistic ask of any quarterback. Whether that's Geno, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, or Aiden O'Connell in Vegas. That's just CJ Stroud, you know, Bryce Young. It's just a hard ask and an unrealistic ask. And the Seahawks are a good example of that. Today was a good example of that. The season has been a good example of that. But I feel like, Chris, what's also powerful is that you can you can take other examples from other teams and you guys can see it that way. Look at the 2023 Chiefs right now. I didn't watch their game today, but in general, they have Mahomes and Andy Reid and a good old line and a good defense, and yet they look pedestrian a lot of the time. Why? Because something around the quarterback is not good enough. In, the, in their case, it's the receivers um, and some their ability to run the ball, inability to run the ball consistently. Look at the 2022 Packers. Aaron Rodgers loses Devontae Adams. Aaron Rodgers didn't forget how to throw the ball. Everything, there were things around the quarterback that weren't good, including their defense for a little bit and special teams in Green Bay. 2019 Patriots. Tom Brady didn't forget how to play ball. He would just throw it to Nikhil Harry. And his, uh, I forget who the OC was at that time. I think it was still Josh McDaniels, but the parts around Tom weren't good. And what he do? He found better parts and won the Super Bowl literally the next year. Now, there's tons of examples. I mean, any Chargers season since they've drafted Justin Herbert, the Chargers got exactly what, a lot of people want in most franchises, good young quarterback who hits right away before he get cost too much. The Chargers have never won a playoff game with Justin Herbert, and they probably won't this season. They went his entire, they're going to go his entire rookie deal without winning a playoff game. Think about that. Why? In part because things around him, whether that's the play caller who they've fired, the coach who they're probably going to fire, the defense, which has been awful, um, injuries, whatever. Eckler just forgetting how to run fast. Like there's been tons of things, you know, receivers that are slow. They've had all these issues in, in the LA since doing what most people would want, drafting a good, young, talented quarterback who hits right away on his rookie deal. 
the point being, I bring all that that long little soliloquy to say the Seahawks have a lot of issues. Could they upgrade a quarterback? Sure, potentially. Will that fix anything inherently? <laughs> no, probably not. As we saw today, they could have had Mahomes out there today and he would have probably looked just the same, maybe minus a few throws here and there against the Niners pass rush behind that O-line, you know, handing it off to Ken. Like it just, they're handing it off to Zach. Drew, well, we can dissect Drew in our standout plays segment this week. We got an extra day to do it because they play on Monday as well. We can do that. But Chris, it really feels fair to say that if you start listing off reasons that the Seahawks in 2023 aren't where they want to be, I feel like we could talk for about five minutes before we get to quarterback. And that's not reaching. There's so many other things wrong. And today was a perfect example. Drew Drew played about as good as – I won't make sorry Drew played good, but Drew didn't play no worse or no better than the guy they've had before. And it really, I think, showcased how the problems they have are much bigger than the guy snapping the ball. Yeah, Drew made his first touchdown. A great throw. Great read. Great back throw. shoulder to DK. DK with a great catch. Got his feet in. I'm mm-hmm. okay. I texted you immediately. I said, Drew is on that time today. He is ready to roll. And the mm-hmm. defense was not ready to roll. And as you mentioned, <laughs> no. everything around him, there's only so much Drew can do. He is not a guy that can go win you a game. Can he keep you in the game? He proved that he can keep him in the game. But after a point, they're just the run game wasn't effective. And when you can't run the football, that just eliminates the next phase of your game. And that and for the Seahawks, that's play action passing. The Niners, mm-hmm. okay, we know you're not going to run it, so you can't. At one point, I believe Cam Walker had eight carries for 21 yards. I think this was early in the fourth quarter. I don't that think he finished crazy. for much better. That's what he finished with, eight for 21. He didn't finish any oh. better than that. Yeah, that's what he had, well, eight for 21. Me. I saw that, and he didn't get any better. They stopped running the football. They couldn't run the football. You mentioned to me off wax, Zach Charbonnet, he ran. He had two explosives for over, what, 40 yards, Mike? Two so I think four? at one point, Zach Charbonnet had back-to-back runs for 23 yards. I think they, oh, were, on, they were on consecutive carries. That's yep. two carries for 46 yards, right? Two carries yep. for 46. Keep that in mind. Yep. Zach Charbonnet finished the game with 44 yards rushing. So that tells yes, you one thing. You're right. <laughs> he had two carries that went for 46 and finished the game with 44. That shows you how bet, like, what is... Guys, prime Joe Montana is not overcoming. Not I, 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 I use the superlative so you guys get the point. Like what? There's other issues. Not to say the QB isn't one, but real top down. I'm not even just talking yeah. about the players too. This is people wearing headsets, people wearing suits, and people wearing pads. Everybody's got blood on their hands right now. You don't lose four games in the way they have just because you're. Well, you can lose four games the way they have because your quarterback stinks. But this is not. That and I say I keep talking about the QB position because it's not like Michael Penix is gonna come in here and save the day. No, it's not. It, it's just hard to overcome. It's really Chris hard to overcome the headsets. If you got people within the headsets who are letting your players down, that's so hard. That's so hard to overcome. Monday through Saturday, that's hard to overcome. But then on Sunday, that's almost it's nearly impossible. Not much you can do, and it'll be interesting to see the All-22 on some of these throws because Drew was using his legs a lot on Sunday against the Niners, which is good because Drew yeah, is right, yeah. he's athletic. He can move around, and he showed it, but you know who was also athletic? The 49ers defense. They chased that man oh, yeah. down. He did not. I don't think he scrambled for a first down. Every time he tried to get out, 
he was stuffed or he got four yards or he got stopped at the line of scrimmage or he gained a yard. The Niners were really good at chasing him. Actually, maybe he did scramble for a for a big one because I do remember. Actually, no, he didn't. He threw it, and it was a legal yeah, forward he, pass. Uh, he ran three times for five yards. So yeah, he, yeah, he, he had a couple of ones where he should have. Run. The one that I'm thinking of is when he tried to throw it. I think the JSN scrambling to the right, and he crossed the line of scrimmage, and he should have ran it. And I know he wanted mm-hmm. to. He just wanted to be a part. He wanted to be someone that can throw the football because, for whatever reason, in the NFL, if you can run and throw. People like to throw shade at you for being able to run and throw the football. So that makes quarterbacks say, oh, I got to stay in the pocket and throw. Just run, man. And Drew had a perfect opportunity to run. He didn't. But he looked, I thought he looked fine. And then, as you mentioned, everything around him, not being able to run the football. The same problem that we saw with Geno Smith, where I can't run the football. That's part of the game. Although Geno would tell you he doesn't mind just spreading it out and throwing it all over the place. That's cool. But. You got to be able to set up the defense. And the Niners did that perfectly. They were able to run the football effectively. And what do you know? George Kittle runs right by Julian Love. He holds him. Doesn't matter. It's a touchdown. And we have that play because this is a perfect example of how the run game is successful. Play action. Julian bites hard. I'll slow it down for you guys, but look at this. Bites hard. Purdy's in the position. Back foot, getting ready to sling it. Look at look at everybody. You got at the top of your screen. That's Tariq Woolen. He is. He thought they were running the football. Linebackers. You got what? Jordan Brooks, Bobby Wagner, and then Nickelback. That'll be with Jamal Adams there playing in the box. They're all playing up for the run because what have the Niners been able to do successfully? It's the fourth quarter, 21-16. Second and nine. They've been running the ball effectively. And then back to Mike's point earlier about Pete saying. Well, we knew what these guys were going to do. Well, actually, Mike, did we talk about that on air or off wax? No, we didn't, we didn't mention that yet on air. Yeah, okay. yeah we didn't mention that so, yet. Well, we can. Real, we got, we got, we got that Pete quote if you want it. Give me that Pete quote, Mike, since you have it up ready. He was talking about what the Niners were going to do. The Seahawks prepared for it by running these certain plays, and they saw it all week throughout practice. And Pete's going to give you – Mike's going to give you the full quote here. Yeah, so I didn't go to Pete's press conference, but I'm. Uh, I wish people could see. I'm reading from the the little transcript that they give us. And Pete said, "Yeah, he said they ran a sweep for 70 yards. That's their favorite play. We've been practicing against that the whole time. That's what I mean by that." Because he said that they didn't run any new stuff. So he was asked about it. He said, "Quote: There was nothing. There was nothing as special about them running Debo on a deep crosser. He's been doing that his whole career, and we saw it. We didn't play it right." He said, "Kittle." Kittle in a short yardage in a play action pass. They're heavy personnel. He's been doing that for his whole career. There was nothing new about those things. We didn't execute well enough to stop those opportunities. That's the stuff we practiced, and we needed to come through and make those plays. We didn't do it. That, that, that's that's what I mean by overcoming the supporting cast, because that that has nothing to do with the offense. That has a, something to do with the headsets. And and the, maybe not the headsets is fair because I think that's this is a Monday through Saturday problem. If you literally practice something and they run it in the game, it looks like you've never seen it to the point where people are asking you if you've ever seen these plays because they were executed that poorly. But like it's hard to overcome these things. These are plays like like Pete said, I could probably guys, if we had more time, I could probably find you a cut up. I could probably make a cut up of them running this touchdown to Kittle out the exact same formation on the same side of the field at the same down and distance. Like it looks that familiar. I'm pretty sure they scored on that against them in 2022 in the first meeting in week two. Pretty sure I could find that. Not the same exact play, but something very similar. Chris also has the uh, the Debo touchdown. 
the Debo touchdown is just like the other two plays and that it's nothing fancy. I don't even think there was any motions on this to confuse anybody because it was third and 11. And all they do is quite literally have Debo just run across the field and run. <laughs> That's it. He runs right at there, right where somebody usually should be uh, to cover it. Like Jamal's right there. He's got vision on Debo. He's got vision on Brock. He's flat footed. Guy runs right by him. It's not nothing fancy. It's not even nothing. Uh, yeah, it's not nothing tricky. It's not nothing they haven't seen before. It's not nothing that Debo has not run before. It's a very common concept in, in that situation. It's just that stuff you can't really overcome consistently. Uh, whether, uh, again, I'm talking about like for people who are like, yeah, this is, we need to, Mike, Chris, we need to use our first pick on a QB. Let's, you know, it's like, I hear you guys. I do, but it's like, what is Caleb Williams going to do about that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What is Drake May going to do about hmm. that? You know, even if you're upset about the salary that um, that the, uh, the current quarterback makes us, Gino, he's paid like a top 15, top 10-ish guy if he hits all the incentives. Yeah, it's cool. Even if you save money on a young buck, the money will be spent somewhere else. And it will probably be spent on guys like the guys they have now. It's not like uh, – Having Geno prevented them from spending money on guys. They're spending like forty million on safeties, spending money on their D line. Their defense is pretty expensive. You know, their, their receiver room is expensive. The only thing that's pretty not expensive is running backs in the O line, for the most part. Even their tight end room is up there. So, um, yeah, I, I I feel like today was Chris such a good example with the plays on offense too. Like we talked about with the numbers of the running game, but also on defense too, man. Chris, they gave up five hundred yards today. Speaking of five hundred yards, hundred yards. Before we get to Twitter questions, you you were able to look something up off wax. You it was the worst top ten performances. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Let me get to the. This is might be the most damning stat I've ever seen. So let me tell you guys how I got to this. I knew they gave up five hundred twenty seven yards. It was in my story today. But in in preparation for the pod just now, I looked up when how many times they've given up five hundred yards uh, under Clint Hurt, the defensive coordinator. Um, in doing so, when I was looking at it, it's five times, by the way, but in doing mm. that, I looked up the yards per play allowed and I was like, wow, they average 9.9. That's an absurd number. So the Niners average 9.9 yards per play. Um, my editor just sent me a note that that's the ninth worst. Um, and I think as far as pro football reference goes back, I don't know how far it goes back, but I think to the 1960s. So it's quite Super Bowl literally era? one of the. Probably since the merger or something like that. Yeah. So oh it's probably one that would be like the ninth worst in like football history, at least by yards per play. And I was like 9.9, .9, man, that's rough. That means every time they snap the ball, they got a first down on average. And <laughs> then I was thinking, well, wait a minute. Didn't they kneel the ball down? They did. So what I did is I scrubbed the kneel downs out of the sample. So when you take the kneel downs out of the sample today, the Seahawks allowed 10.2 yards per play. 10. Point two. That means on average, every time the Niners snapped the ball, now literally, not every time they snapped it, they got a first down. But on average, they got a first down when they snapped the ball. On average, dog. What is that? This is not a one person. Let's take it away from the QB. One person does not fix this. Two people do not fix this. Two high draft picks do not fix that. Five high draft picks do not fix that. These are, these are top down. These are the type of performances or this little stretch, this little four and out stretch right here. This little stretch is what makes people make wholesale changes. 
because it's not just one player. It's not just the D-line. It's not just the linebackers. It's not just the O-line. It's not just the run game. It's not just the offensive play calling staff. It's not just the defensive staff. Like this is, it's not just the head coach. It's not just the quarterback. This is, this is everything. 10.2 yards per play is insane. I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. How, how mad is Pete? How I'm trying to understand how pissed he must be right now. He doesn't show it in the press conference. I don't know, Mike, if you've ever seen Pete just, oh, he's off 10 right now. I just can't. I'm just trying to visualize just how infuriated. I thought at one point watched the presser, he wanted to cry. When he first walked up there, I, I just looked like, damn, Pete wanted to just cry. Four straight L's, as you alluded, gave up 500 yards. 500. And they've given up 500 yards five times under Clint. Yeah, I don't, I don't that, know how many times it was under Norton. I could probably go look while we're, we're oh, doing another segment. I, I don't know later. if you should, Mike. I don't know if you should. But, yeah, man, that's that's pretty bad. I'm looking right now. I'm looking at what the worst yards per play allowed is in the league this year. Because 10.2, we're, we're not going to harp on this too long. But, man, that, that that's up there, man. I don't, I've never, never seen anything like that. So, oh, boy, Chris, this is, this is rough. I found it. Oh, no. Damn. This is You guys are going to want to hear this. This is this is this is not good. So let me take kneel downs out of the sample again. So I'm scrubbing kneel downs from the sample. The two worst performances on defense this year by yards per play. Chris, you can probably guess what number one is from the from the whole the whole NFL, not just the Seahawks. Ooh, the worst defensive worst performance. Team? Oh, come on. You're overthinking. It's easy. Who allowed the most points this year in a game? Oh, yeah. The Denver, the Denver Broncos. Bingo. Yeah. Um, the Broncos in that game allowed the Dolphins to average 10.4 yards per play when you take out kneel downs. I don't know if the def- if the Dolphins knelt it down or not, but I'm sure they did. Um, <laughs> 10.4. The Seahawks, second worst, 10.2. Those are the only two performances this year on defense in which the opponent has averaged greater than 10 yards per play. Yeah, the so Seahawks. So today was quite – it was damn near as bad as a team that gave up 70 on a per-play right. basis. That is absurd. Real quick, before we get to Twitter questions, aren't they on schedule to play Miami next season too? Uh, they play the a- AFC East next year. So yes, yeah, they'll play the Jets, Patriots, Dolphins, and um, if I'm the Seahawks, I, I'm I'm saying, hey, can we actually just not play them <laughs> just because of their speed? Because you know what would happen if the Seahawks played them, it would probably be twelve yards. It, they the run game. The pass, the motions yeah, that they have, nice. they would that set a so record. They might, they might get one thousand yards, and that's if the Seahawks are able to score on that defense. If it's a shootout, they would give up a thousand yards. I would put money yeah. on the books that they would give up a thousand yards. Tua would go crazy, throw for nine hundred, throw for seven hundred yards. Raheem Mostert and the track star run for three hundred a piece or one hundred one fifty a piece. That's three hundred yards right there. <laughs> yeah, this is. This is this is pretty bad, man. My editor sent me the worst yards per play in football reference. Yeah, it's the worst is 10.6, and that was in 1972. Oh um, We're not talking about earthquakes here. <laughs> some of the other ones are more recent. Is a 2017 here? Looks like the wow. the, 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 the uh, Chiefs did it. Yeah, that, that Dolphins one is third worst ever. So, yeah, man, sorry to harp on this, you guys, but this kind of puts it in perspective. We'll get to the offense. We'll get to other stuff and Pete and John and Jody and all that stuff. But today, for the second straight game, I really just felt like I was watching a, a defense that needed wholesale changes. It really did. I felt like that. It just feels like guys just guys just don't believe in the scheme. Or they don't believe in each other. Or 
I don't know what it is because it doesn't feel like a talent thing, and we'll get to that, but 10.2, 10.2 per play with no nil downs. That doesn't really get much worse. It was worse than that, dog. Like, that's just as bad as a team that gave up 70. It was only 28, but it, it was on a per play, it was just as bad. That's that's rough, dog. I've never seen anything like that in my life. You would think they're out there playing flag football and just not pulling flags the way they're not tackling and getting to people. But you know what? Let's let's get the Twitter questions because we got a lot of them. We appreciate every single one of you for taking some time, coming up with some questions. We appreciate all the love and support there. So without further ado, Mike, are you ready to get to these Twitter questions? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. I will start with a DM I received, and this is from Edmilson. He asked, how legit is Pete Carroll's hiring process for offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator? Is it okay to question these hires? Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Because the results aren't there. We're in a results-based business. That's, that's just a fact of it, particularly on offense. I think that Pete's fired every offensive coordinator he's had, you know, um, and that's saying something because it's not like these guys are um, putting up bad numbers. Bevel was like a record-setting guy here, and Shoddy had a bunch of top 10 offenses, and, you know, none of them got poached for head coaching jobs. I forget the first dude's name that Pete had. I think Bates, Jeremy Bates maybe. Uh, I think he was a holdover from the previous staff, so may not have the same implications. But yeah, like Shane's not Shane's not on track to be one of these like head coaching candidates. You know, this is he's on track to be like a passing game coordinator if if he uh, after he leaves Seattle. You know, just like some of the other guys have been like Shoddy and I think Bevel was like a QB coach for a little bit. I think he's at the Dolphins now as the QB coach. Either way, point is I think it's very fair, particularly on offense. Um, on defense, it's a little trickier because I don't we don't really know how much latitude these guys get. Um, but let's say they get a lot of latitude to run their own scheme and coach it how they want and coach the techniques how they want and they get full control over the game plans and game day. I do think Pete gives these guys latitude on game day in particular. Um, but yeah, the results aren't there. They're just they're just not. You got these guys haven't even been here's the thing about the the process of these hires. I don't know about the process, but the results. Chris, this, th- these guys haven't fielded an average defense, an average defense. There's a few ways to measure that, DVOA, EPA per play, this, however you want to do it, total yards, I don't really care. Point is, we can all agree that they haven't had an average defense sp- since about 2017, and that's just unacceptable. It really is. Uh, in 2017, you know, things fell apart with the LOB. Guys got hurt, Cam, Sherm, Mike B. Oh, no, excuse me, Cam, Sherm, Cliff. Um, but and Bobby got hurt down the stretch, KJ. But I just think if you just consistently hire these guys and you can't field an average defense, it don't got to be great. Chasing the putting every coordinator up to the Legion of Boom standard, that would just be unfair. That's dumb. That was one of the greatest defenses of all time. This is hard to replicate. But just middle of the road? No, nah, man, this is we've we've seen years and years and years where the defenses are among the worst in the league. The personnel changes, the position coaches changes, the the um, the coordinators change, and we get the same result. Even if the process may be changed or different, the result is still the same, and that is a problem. I mean, eventually you got to look at who's hiring the cats, you know, um, on both sides of the ball, because it's like, man, you can't get an average defense out there, dog. That's just un- it's unacceptable, man. You should you should. Uh, even when we're in offensive league, before we go on to the next question, Chris, I think we can agree. I don't think anybody should ever give up 500 yards. 
I really just don't think that should happen. I really just don't. I feel like it's it's that's a reasonable expectation to ask of an NFL defense in a season. Don't give up 500 yards in a game. I feel like things get funky, but that is a baseline like ask, I think. And that's happened five times in the last two seasons. To put it in perspective, Brandon Ayuk, he goes for over 100. Christian McCaffrey, he goes for over 100. And then Debo Samuel goes for over 100. That's 300 yards for their superstars. That's crazy. This next one comes from Bacon Brown J. If you two are Jody <laughs> Allen, what is your plan with the coaching staff moving forward? It's real simple. Very simple for me, actually. After this season, I have a serious conversation. Pete, are you winning a Super Bowl this season? Meaning you're going to stay with this team. If the answer is, I don't know, maybe, I'm going to need you to step down, bro. I'm going to need you to just go out there and, hey, you know, whatever I'm trying to bring is not working. You look at this roster, it's very talented. We've said this from the start. They have talent, but for whatever reason, guys aren't tackling. Guys are falling for stuff that is, as Pete alluded to in the presser, we've been practicing all week. This isn't like, damn, we ain't seen that. Remember that double screen that they ran against the Seahawks last season? And it worked? That's something the Seahawks never seen before. The fake, the fake double screen, excuse me. Oh, you're talking about on the, uh, the same play that the Seahawks ran today that the Niners. Bingo. Yes, okay, gotcha. I'll Correct. Go ahead. That is a play. Like, damn, we, <laughs> we ain't seen it, but noted. <laughs> we, we'll, we will be prepared for when that comes up again, if it does. Okay, I give you that. So, obviously, when Pete's up there saying, hey, they're doing stuff that we practice all week, something's going on. There is a bigger issue. And it's not Pete's fault, but it ain't. it's not working either. So, I'm having a serious conversation, and it's yes or no. Ain't no maybes. If it's yes, I need six weeks in. I need you to be five or one or six and oh. And if you're not that, you got to step down, my guy. You got to step oh, down. Oh, okay. So, because you're, you're Jody. You're asking Pete. Yes. Are you asking him I if need, he can win a Super Bowl? Well, he's gonna say yes if you ask him. Well, then you're on the you're on the clock next season. Gotcha. Okay. You got to be five and one or better. And if you're not, I need you to step down. It's really that simple. I don't care who you got your first six weeks. You need to be five and one or six and zero. Oh. You got to have that. And we'll, we'll we will continue discussions once you reach that plateau. You're five and one. Let's have another chat. How are we looking? I'm watching the games. Blah blah blah. That's where I'm moving with it. I want action because they did all of these changes, all of this, all of this, and they are six and seven, Mike. Six and seven. A team last year that they were closing the gap on the Niners, right? They just needed to over to revamp that defensive line. They didn't really do that. They went out and got Devin with the spoon. Hit. He is really talented. He's filling up holes. He can hit. He can make plays. He can do it all. But for whatever reason, the entire defense ain't getting it done. Offensively, they've been a mess all year. From third down, guys dropping passes, guys not running. There's a zone defense. Guys are running through the zone instead of powering down, slowing down, and hitting it, sitting in that zone and catching the pass and getting upfield. It's been a mess. So that's what I'm going to do. The floor is yours, Mike. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Before I get to that, I did look up, you know, I like to go back and look at the stat if I can. The Seahawks give up 500 yards, looks like five times as well under Ken Norton. So no, he got fired. It looks, like, it looks like two of these were in overtime. It looks like the Cardinals on Sunday Night Football and I think the Titans maybe, um, that the game where Derrick Henry went crazy. I think that game went to overtime as well. <laughs> in the second um, half. I'm pre- yeah, I'm pre- yeah, it was crazy. Um, and the worst yards per play that they ever gave up was 8.4 under Ken Norton. So, oh. yeah, it's a uh, significant oh, worse. I'm sorry, Clint. Um, yeah, that's tough, man. Yeah, no, it's it's just I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. But anyway, to answer that question um, from Jody, I, I I think I don't know if I have like one direct question. Actually, I do. I don't know how to word it, but I would I would need to hear from Pete and John a a, a plan. Like not just like a wish list, but a legitimate like plan for addressing the trenches. Like, can you make us dominant in the trenches in one off season? Like, I, like I, I can't really afford for you guys to just like, uh, you know, hey, it takes time, blah blah blah. No, no, like you have. <laughs> if, I only, time. If, I, if I were to only give you, that's probably how I'd word it. If I were to only give you this off season, could you get us dominant in the trenches on both sides? Like that would be that would probably be how I'd. Because I do think that if you have that, you can. I'm, I'm cool with however else you fill out the rest of the the issues there. Because there, as we see, when you're dominant in the trenches, you can just kind of do whatever you want to whatever team you want. You can run single high, you can run too high, you can run to set up the pass, you can pass to set up the run. If you're dominant in the trenches, you can literally do whatever you want, um, and you can probably have whatever quarterback you want in that case too, um, as long as it's not like Nathan Peterman. So I don't know why I keep singling him out. I'm sorry, Nathan. But you guys Dude, get five picks and a half, Mike. My goodness. 
isn't he the quarterback that made Vontae Davis quit his job at halftime? Like that was I'm pretty you sure do he was that, the quarterback you're Vontae pretty bad. Yeah, that was that's crazy. My man said I'm double football right now. <laughs> that was insane. Anyway, that would probably be the way I phrased it. I mean, I know maybe some you guys want some other ways of putting it, but that would really be the concern for me because you just can't you can't just keep not being good at dominant in the trenches each year and then expect that to and then cite that as something that needs to be changed and then don't change it in the offseason. It's like mm. that is going to be the that's the difference maker. That is. That's where you build the team. If you can get dominant there, I don't know what they would say to that answer. But if you can, yes. If I don't like the plan, everybody goes. Because for me, that's probably the easiest way to get Seattle where it wants to be is dominate in the trenches. It really is. I know the Legion of Boom kind of defined the the last era of success, but I think the most sustainable model going forward, other than having uh, Patrick Mahomes, is to be dominant in the trenches. So that's how I would – if I'm Jody, that's what I want to look at. I want to hear a plan for that. If I like the plan, I'm rolling with it. If not, I get somebody who can execute the plan, uh, uh, maybe answer that question a little bit better for me. This next one comes from at Rosebug underscore 22, Chris Leeper. At what point do the Seahawks stop firing the coordinators and just tear down the operation? Yeah, I think we're we're not quite there yet. I know Chris is, kind of. I'm not totally there yet. Um, but I feel like the, the answer to the question is, what's the last day of the year? I think January 9th or 8th or something like that. Uh, whatever day after that is. That's the that's 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 the question you have to ask. It's it's almost just like why do we what where does the benefit of the doubt come from? Let's see. I think their last game would be like uh, January sixth or seventh. So yeah, January eighth or ninth or wherever you want to do it. That's the that's the point you get to. I think I do think it's worth seeing the thing out. Like you know, fire nobody now. Um, it's worth seeing it through. However. Yeah, I do think that's the question you have to ask. It's not just it's not just going in there and assuming, oh yeah, if we just tinker this and fix that, we're right there. I feel like that's just not that's, that would be insane at this point to 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 view it through that lens. It's it's almost like the question now has to become why don't we make wholesale changes? And then if you like the answer to that question, you can proceed. But that is the question you have to ask because it's not just we've been through so many coaching changes, uh, position coaches, so many player changes, so many like just iterations of the team without changing like two or three guys. So at some point you do ask, all right, well, when do we change the two or three? Um, and yeah, I think that you had, you asked that question on January 8th or whatever. If th- that's assuming they missed the playoffs. If you make it, then you delay that a week or whatever, or whenever the last game is. But yeah, there's, there's the framing of the quest, the postseason question has changed now. It's not, all right, can these guys get it done? It's like, all right, what is the argument for keeping this status quo? Maybe that's the, been the question in, uh, internally before. I don't know. I don't know what Jody voice sound like really, but n- that for sure has to be it now. It's like, all right, what's the argument against making wholesale changes? Is that strong enough? Because right now, yeah, looking at the current product and then taking in the whole sample in this post Legion of Boom world, yeah, that has to be the question because I really feel like, let me whisper when I say this, it's probably not a good argument for maintaining the status quo. But maybe we can get to that another pot. Maybe we can get to that another pot. But right now, yeah, it doesn't doesn't look like that argument will be very strong. This next one comes from Benjamin Riley. The Leonard Williams trade suggests 
the front office really believe this team could win the NFC this season? Do the Seahawks have a self-scouting problem? Yeah, that's a really good question. It, I really think it's good because I'm not really sure what the answer is. Because on one point, like when they made the Leonard Williams trade, I thought it was fine. I thought the process was fine, particularly in the wake of losing Chinanuosu. I figured, yeah, either you try to go get Montez Sweat, and they probably didn't want to pay him that money, which it's fine. Um, go get Chase Young. Sounds like they didn't want him. They go get Leonard Williams. They think he's better than, than Sweat and Chase. It's, it's kind of what it is. I don't really care about that. I feel like the process was fine. Um, I thought at the time their D-line was solid because it was. They were like t- top five in sack rate, sacks. They were stopping the run. Like at the time, it looked like you basically lose Chenna and you plug in Leonard Williams. On paper, that was fine. Like that, tra- it, viewing this question through that lens specifically, I think the answer is do they have a self scouting problem? The answer to that is probably no. Big picture, the answer is probably yes. And I think it's not necessarily just with the D-line or the, in the wake of the Leonard trade, I really feel like I think that the issue is probably self-scouting. It, like, I don't feel like when the Seahawks look at their issues, particularly on offense, I feel like this is most notable. When they, I feel like on defense, they kind of address these things. But on offense, I feel like when they look at themselves on offense, they don't identify the right changes and then adjust them accordingly. I feel like the only thing, only way we've seen that happen is Chris with screens. I feel like that's, that's about it. Otherwise I feel like the same things are the issues and they watch the film and then try to correct them and feel like, Oh yeah, if we just execute better on this, it'll work. And that's not just this year for years. I feel like, so I feel like the self-scouting issue may not be the front office to the roster, I feel like it may be the self-scouting issue may just be um, the staff and the players when they, when it's time to like go get to the drawing board, it's just not, it's not coming through clear. The corrections are not being made. I really feel like that's the case on offense. Cause I re- like, honest to God, I really don't understand how you'd be this bad on third down for this many years in a row through different quarterbacks, largely the same receivers, but changing weapons, changing play callers, changing passing game coordinators, changing O-line coaches. You've changed all these things. You've had all this film. You've had all these different reasons why the third down offense hasn't been good in particular. And it just can't change. Now, there's other stuff there, but like to be so bad at that thing is what really makes – when I think of self-scouting, I think of being able to look at what's killing you and just to be able to not fix it. Like I think that part is – I feel like they do that on defense. I do. I feel like we've seen the defense be like god awful at something and then fix it for like a month. You know what I mean? Like I feel like the defense gets the benefit of the doubt. And we've seen that. We've seen them be bad at like rushing the passer and then all of a sudden be the best pass rush team in the league for a month, you know, or to close the season really strong rushing the passer or stopping the run or getting turnovers or whatever. Uh, but or stopping screens. We've seen them change that midseason as well. But we, we very rarely see like I think the offense just start fixing something even if it's super glaring, that's where I think the self-scouting issue is uh, the self-scouting deficiency. I should say is most evident, I think in the offensive side of the ball. This next one comes from Jeff at UW Moose. Does the front office have a legitimate Pete succession plan? Oh, probably not. And by front office, this just has to be framed through Jody. I don't think you can separate Pete and John at this point. I feel like if you get rid of one guy, probably ready to get rid of the other guy. 
kind of a package deal, I would assume, unless one guy just quits, um, which it, it could happen. I wouldn't rule out that scenario. Um, I doubt it, though. Like, I feel like if you're Jody, again, I don't even know what her voice sound like, so let me just put my Jody hat on here. You know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of speculating. But if you're Jody, I could easily see a scenario where she didn't think she needed a succession plan before maybe today. But even today, it's easy. It's easy. I don't. I wouldn't see it this way if I were her. But I could easily see a world. I'm sure you guys could agree whether you would do it this way or not. You could easily see a world where she's like, "Yeah, we were competitive in a game where we had our backup quarterback playing, you know, on 48 hours notice." Is that the fair way to look at this game? Hell, no, it's not. No, it's not at all. But Chris, we could probably see her looking at it that way. You know, like. Lose your quarterback. Guy gets hurt like Thursday evening. Drew has to, you know, practice Friday, Saturday. And even then, you don't really know whether Drew's actually going to start because Gino went through a pregame workout today as if he could start. So it's easy to look at it that way and be like, oh, yeah, we're six and seven. We can still go 10 and seven. You know what I mean? Like she could easily look at it through rose colored glasses that way and then not even want to form a succession plan. Um, so I, I, my guess would be nah, as she don't have one. Should she? Sure. I, I I doubt she probably would at this point. This next one comes from Abraham Newelt. Can you envision a scenario where Pete Carroll steps down as head coach and takes on a different role while grooming the next coach in line? I could oh. see this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, real quick. Absolutely not. If Pete steps down, he's out of here. <laughs> he about to, bro is not about to step down and be like, you know what? I love me some Clint Hurt. I'm going to get him to be the head. No. If Pete steps down, he is on the next trip to Hawaii, or nah, maybe not Hawaii. He's out of here. He's going to go on a beach somewhere, and he's 70-plus. He's done. He's won at every level. He is definitely getting out of coaching, for sure. I would, I'd be stunned if he stayed to do anything related football-wise if he actually stepped down as head coach. Like, for example, they lose against the Eagles. Hey, guys, I just want to announce that I'm actually stepping down. I think the 12s, Jody, blah, blah, blah. You're not hearing from Pete again. He might write a book saying farewell. That'll be it. Floor is yours. No, I, I think um I think there's I think Pete, Mike Tomlin, and Bill Belichick are all kind of in the same little space right now. I think uh, Harbaugh would be here too, but I think that the drafting of Lamar Jackson um really changed the math over there in Baltimore, or otherwise he would probably be in the same same boat in that like at, at some point, those guys are going to have to probably decide. I don't think any of them are going to get fired. I think whenever they're done, whether that's this year, next year, whenever, I think all those guys are going to get to like mutually part or, you know, walk away or, you know, how that goes. Um, it, it transition into a role that says like, oh, you're a consultant dude, but really you're just, that's just for contractual reasons. You're on a, like Chris said, you're, you know, you're in Florence, Italy, just chilling, not doing a damn thing with the football operations. I think all of those guys, if they get to that point, and this is applicable to Pete, uh, and I think Mike T as well and Bill, that they would probably have to get to a point where they feel like their messaging is no longer resonating. And it's not necessarily like oh, our offense isn't good or our defense isn't good. I feel like that's a, from a philosophical standpoint. Like if you're Pete and Mike T and Bill, they all have their, their tenants, their core tenants of their programs. In Pete's case, it's like always compete, you know, finish, all that stuff. I think Pete, the scenario where Pete, the, uh, resigns, um, and I'm with Chris, he's out of here, but the scenario where he resigns would be with Pete sitting down and being like, 
the core tenets of my, I believe in the core tenets of my program, but my, my club is not reflecting those for whatever reason and feel like whatever I'm trying to get across is not getting across. Now for, for Pete, that's going to be really tough. I don't even know if he can get to that place, but he would have to get there, I think. Um, and the way to get there is to look at whether your team is competing, like, cause that's his, right. That's the main one. Is your team competing? Well, they used to be a team that never lost by more than like eight. Now it seems like they're losing by double digits every other week, multiple games in which they are not competitive. You know, they're not finishing very well. They've been bad late game. They've been bad second half. They've had multiple seasons where they've gotten worse um, in November and December. Remember that used to be the opposite. They used to turn up in November and December. It was very easy to believe in the philosophy there. I feel like if Pete sits down and is like, yo, those core things are not hitting. Guys are not competing. Maybe we're making excuses. Um, maybe we're not finishing. You know, like we're not believing. I don't, the believing one will be tough to quantify, but he he would know it when he sees it. I feel like if those things aren't hitting, that's when you get a guy like him at, to, to walk away. Same thing with Mike T, for what it's worth, and for Bill. For Actually, for Bill, I don't know what it would take. Maybe he just runs out of sleeveless hoodies. I'm not sure. Um, maybe Robert Kraft just kicks him out the door. I'm not really. I don't know. I don't know him that well, but I do think all of them are in a similar space where it's like they should. If I if I was like put in their brands, I'd be like, you guys should sit down, look in the mirror, and feel like is what is are the core philosophies that I'm preaching to my guys hitting? From my scouting department to my front office to my players to my coaches, are they hitting? Can I prove that they're hitting based on our on field product? The answer is yes. Go ahead, coach T. Coach T can't coach no more. If the answer is no, go ahead to Barcelona, my boy. This next one comes from Eric Wall. Do you see a scenario in which Pete Carroll's perpetual optimism becomes a detriment to the team? It seems like staying so positive all the time could blind him from what actually needs to be done. And we're getting a lot of like envisioning and projecting. Uh, this is kind of crazy. We're getting a lot of work. Like everyone wants us to put on our uh, predictive powers here, which is fine. I get it. It's just kind of funny. Um, no, I don't think because here's the thing about Pete's optimism. Pete's optimism is still paired with harsh truths. Like if you, if you, and we've heard this from guys before, I've heard it publicly and privately. Pete's relatively straight shooter. It's not like he's just, um, like he doesn't see the bad. Of course he sees the bad. He's more upset about the bad than he lets on publicly. And I think part of that is because there's no benefit to him just openly being pissed. You know what I mean? Calling guys out. Or whatever, um, unless it's something like you uh, penalties or you know just dumb stuff, you know poor stuff on social media, guy get arrested or you know stuff like stuff that's obviously bad. But like, there's really no point in for Pete to just get up there and sounding all doom and gloom publicly. Like I do think there is something to be said for the power of thought, positive thinking. You know, Russell Wilson was on that same stuff, so I think that's part of it. Publicly, it makes sense for him to do that, and privately, it makes sense to have that mindset because if you dwell on what you can't change anymore, you know, that's just bad mindset. All you can, like right now, they got their butts whipped again. All they can really focus on is fixing things to beat the Eagles. If you try to focus on any more than that or try to be too pessimistic or whatever, you're going to get your butt whipped by the Eagles. And then you get your butt whipped by the Titans because you're dwelling on the Eagles. You know what I'm saying? It's a slippery slope. So I think it, because his optimism is paired with like harsh truths about like what's actually wrong, whether it's with him or his coaches or the players or whoever. That's what tell the truth Monday is why the answer to this question is no. 
I, I love this question, though. That's why we kept it in here. Uh, but yeah, they have Tell the Truth Monday, and Tell the Truth Monday gets real. It does. Guys feel crappy when they're on that big screen. <laughs> For real. Mm. They'll tell you, getting put on the big screen on Tell the Truth Monday or in the film room, that feels awful. And because they have that, that's why the, you can pair that with optimism. Um, and the optimism helped them move forward, too. Like, you can't change. Once they land and get 24 hours to be mad about this, by Tuesday morning, you have to move forward. You have to. Whether they won the game by 30 or lost it by 30. And that that's another one of those Pete things that if that's working, if that's working, then the answer is, yeah, you keep the guy. But Chris quietly, eh, it hasn't been working. We've seen them. No, for real. We've seen a couple of examples now where – they wasn't ready to play the Niners on Thanksgiving. They wasn't ready to play the Niners in week two last year after beating Russ. Like we've seen some instances where guys if the Monday through Saturday work wasn't done. And Monday through Saturday is where Pete's his best. Sunday is kind of whatever. Monday through Saturday is supposed to be his bag. As soon as that's not his bag, that's really when it's time to change. This next one comes from AK at arc underscore nineteen ninety. How long do Pete Carroll and John Schneider keep their jobs if the Seahawks continue just being an average team? Oof, man. People want these cats gone. They want these cats gone. Chris, what do you think? How long do you think? You think they how long how long you let's say they finish. All right, let's go. Let's go. Through, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple scenarios. Uh let's say they finish nine and eight. And I'll give you three. Nine and eight, and they make the playoffs losing the first round. What do you think? Got to go. All We've right. seen that. So that we that has been happening over and over and over. But continue. So that's one scenario one. So that means that answers this next one then. So no playoffs gone no matter what. Yeah. Shake it up, man. So nine and eight or ten and seven, whatever. You make the playoffs. You go to Dallas and win, or you go to Detroit and win, and then you end up playing the Niners in the divisional round. And you get and you get beat handily. What do you think then? I listen to Pete's presser, see where it went wrong, and then I fire him. You just want to get the assessment because last year the assessment was got to get better up front. Seahawks said, "Damn all that, we're drafting a corner. We're gonna make a make a few adjustments, bring guys back." They addressed it. Did it really? Result in them being ten and three? No, they're six and seven. It's kind of a problem. They no, didn't. I'm, I'm with you. They didn't get better. They everything that they talked about. Their goal was to be the Niners. Their goal was to be ten and three, and the Niners would be six and seven, tied with the Los Angeles Rams. That was their plan. That plan has backfired. Not having a healthy old line. Not taking a not drafting someone high to protect your quarterback in the trenches. As you just talked about, someone asked earlier about, you know, what would you do next year pretty much with Pete Carroll and this team? And your first thing is, okay, I got to see what you guys are about to do in the trenches. Well, that's important here. Yeah. You talked about it last year after getting curb stumped by the Niners. Since you guys pack in, you're like, got to get better up front. And the whole offseason, everyone's assuming you guys are going to take the best player available to improve the D-line. You don't do that. And I... Give you guys give the Seahawks credit for drafting Devin. He's been a hit. But the D-line is still here we are, week 14. It's not like Brock Purdy was under duress the whole game and they just ran the football. <laughs> no, Brock Purdy did what he wanted, threw for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Floor is yours, Mike. 
No, I, no, that's fair. I was letting you cook. Do your thing. Um, no, you, you're right. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. Um, I gotta, I'm, I just want to see it play out how it looks because how it looks does matter to me. But I'm with you. If we just look at the results, though. Yeah, well, I do think that matters in terms of like. I hear you. The I, I'm really big on the 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 trenches in terms of the on field the player part like the trenches I'm really big on, but also just like the competitive part. Because if they had been losing by the skin of their teeth in some of these, then I could believe. But the they're bad in situational football on both sides of the ball. They're getting worse as seasons progress, seasons plural, um, and they're no longer competitive. And they're no longer consistently competitive. Getting, there's multiple blowouts the last few seasons. That's that that's that's problematic for me. So, but. Let's say down the stretch, they get to a nine and eight or whatever, you know, competitive. You know, I, I'd see some worlds where I'm okay with the status quo. There's like maybe only one world, really, actually. Um, and that's like a last second field goal loss to the Niners in the divisional round. Maybe. And that's maybe. That's being generous because that would be six straight to the Niners. So, um, and that would be like a 10th straight season without making the NFC title game. So that'd be, that'd be tough too. Um, but even yeah, I, I'd say maybe even that scenario specifically, or make an NFC title game. So the probably was only two. So I think I'm generally with you. I still would like to see it play out. Um, but like I like I hinted at earlier, the argument for not making wholesale changes is it's very. I mean, you need Johnny Cochran to make that at this point. Mm. I feel like you you really do. It's it's an argument you can make, but each week it gets tougher and tougher to make. This next one comes from Kimwell Santana at Santana underscore speed. Is it time for something new? Even if it's not better, it's getting harder and harder to watch the same problems every single week. Yeah, I like this question because there's something we've hinted at. I probably say I like every question. You guys probably think I'm just saying that. I'm not. I literally, me and Chris really literally go through each question and I say which ones I like and don't like. Um, but uh, yeah. I am of the impression that sometimes change just to have something different is worth it. Generally, change for the sake of change can get dangerous. That's that's true. And there's, there's plenty of examples in across all team sports that can show you why that can be dangerous. However, sometimes I do just think, yeah, if the if the same issues now, it's not the same exact issues literally every year, they're largely the same. This ain't the first time the Seahawks have had problems with penalties. This ain't, the, uh, this ain't the first year the Seahawks have had problems with explosives. This ain't the first year the uh, Seahawks are bad situationally on offense, on third down. Um, they've been better in the red zone before, but um, this, ain't, this ain't the first time. This ain't the first time we've said, oh, man, they need to be better up front, like Chris said. Like, you get just different versions of the same problem. It's like a Tyler Perry movie. You know, and once you get that, man, yeah, it's oh, man, it's it it is time for something different. I, I do I do think you get to that point. You do risk, you risk when you do that something different that you end up getting something worse. Like I do it, I do acknowledge that that's a that's, that's probably actually a likely scenario, really, to be honest. Um, however. To keep doing the same things and convincing yourself that like we're just like a piece or two here or a retool there, man, that's just tough. That's a tough sell. 
And I do think you don't really got to isolate it to just Seattle. I think you can look at Pittsburgh and look at New England and see very similar thematic things with the guy who's been there forever and that regime and, and all that. It's just, it's like those same issues can be applied to those franchises as well, even though the Steelers record is a little better. You can see those problems over there. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I do think that argument you don't need Johnny Cochran for to be like, huh, maybe we just need something different. For real, like if you just if you just walk in and be like, hey, Jody, you walk in, any of you guys, not just me or Chris, you just walk in and you be like, Jody, I feel like we just need something different, you know? Like even if it's not guaranteed to be better, I feel like we just need something different, different messaging, different voices, you know, different this philosophy on how to go about this. What do you think? Whatever she says back to you, probably not about to be that strong. She's going to say something back, for sure. Any of you guys can probably have a retort to that as well. Probably a fair one. At the same time, is it that good of a retort? You know what I'm saying? Is it better than my retort back? If I'm just like, yeah, but this year we had that problem. That year we had that problem. Then we fired that guy who was in charge of that and still had the problem. We fired that dude who was in charge of that. We traded that guy, traded for this guy, drafted that guy, cut that guy, released that guy, signed that guy in for agency, did all this stuff, and came back to the to the same point. You know, so I think I, I would look, I kind of look at it that way. Like we walked in and was like, yo, Jody, how you feel about something different? Oh, well, I do something different with this, this organization. Whatever she says is probably not going to be that strong. I really feel like she could say something, but I bet you she wouldn't say it to us out loud. Boy, because that would sound, you know, it would sound crazy. It would sound crazy. Like I would love to ask her that question. I would love to because I guarantee the answer would just look ridiculous. It'd be one of them things you put on a quote graphic. And you read it in big old white letters, and you'd be like, damn, that looks crazy. Like when you read it, I guarantee you it would, because it's hard, it's just becoming harder and harder to make a case uh, for maintaining the status quo. This next one comes from at also known as Phil. Do the Seahawks have a scheme play call issue to put players in the best conditions to succeed? Or are the players just not that good? Jamal Adams in mind and others. Yeah, Jamal had a bad week. A bad week. Give up the game when a touchdown. Put the spotlight on your back with your social media stuff. Um, doubling down on those comments um, this week. Putting more spotlight on yourself, and then you go out there and you give up. It's one thing to have other, you know, plays that the, the naked eye wouldn't recognize, but these are he's giving up, giving up stuff. He's not the only one, but this question was about him. Um, and again, he had the other stuff going on, but he's giving up stuff that like. The naked eye doesn't need to – you don't need, like, a football mind to know that, hey, bro, you got to turn and run with that. Like, sometimes it can be the case where the guy who's in the picture, it ain't his fault. That happens in football sometimes, particularly at safety. Um, but, nah, like, he's had some plays. This one, the Jake Ferguson one, where it's just like, nah, man, everyone watching the game knows that that was your guy. He ran by you. That's tough. That's tough. Um, but I do think this play is an example of how – Nah, man, sometimes the scheme stuff is fine. It, it really is. Guys, Just I think this year has really been, in, uh, particularly on defense. Chris, let's focus this on defense. I really feel like the tackling, when it's been so bad, has just, that's been a bigger issue than scheme to me. I don't know where you are on that, but I feel like guys are in position to make plays. Even Jamal. How many times have we seen Jamal come at the quarterback and not make the play? You he know, hasn't like had a sack all season, Mike. That puts it in perspective. Yeah, and he's and, been and back this, there. <laughs> he's he's been sent uh, probably not as much as previous years, but been sent enough that you would expect him to have a sack. Um, I don't think he's had one since signing the deal, uh, mm. and that's 
I think I'd have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure he hasn't had one since 2020 against the commanders. I want to say, I think they were the Washington football team back then. Um, but yeah, I I don't think that it's a, on defense. I don't think it's a guys aren't being put in the right position thing. Um, I kind of felt like that a little bit with Jordan, um, a little bit, but that's like, that's kind of, it's kind of minute. It's a small thing. In general, I think guys are there. Guys got to make plays on the ball. Guys got to not hold. Guys got to not make illegal contact. Got to not hit guys in the face. Got to make tackles in the hole. Like I feel like all that stuff, guys are there. On offense, though, oh, man. We spent like a month watching them throw the dumbest stuff to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like stuff like that. You know what I mean, just like, what, what, what are we doing here? You know, um, for some reason that like, I don't know if this, this can't be by design, but all they have Tyler Lockett do is run out routes. It's crazy. He just runs a bunch of out routes. And we've seen teams sit on those and take them and intercept those. I think that's Geno Smith's most intercepted route this year, I think. Don't quote me on that. But you guys get the point, you know. Um, guys are sitting on that. So I do feel like on offense, we've seen things not be put – guys, maybe guys not be put in uh, position to succeed a lot more than on defense. On defense, I feel like for whatever it is, guys not believing in the scheme, not trusting the guy next to them – not having the right mindset, effort, whatever it is. I feel like on defense scheme stuff, I feel like that's not the issue. On offense, I feel like it is. So it's it's different on both sides of the ball. But either way, all of it's bad. All of it's very, very bad. To have this many losses in a row this way, all of it's bad. This next one comes from David W. Slater 89. Mike, do you remember the wood burnings that he did for us? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got mine. Uh, so, I still got mine at the house. Yeah, me too. He has a couple more for us, so I'm, I can't wait to see those. But he wants to know, what position do you think the Seahawks need to address this offseason? Hint, hint. You might have alluded to it earlier. Let's see if you stick with it. Well, I know everyone's really upset about the safeties and the, and the linebackers. <laughs> um, but I'm really I'm – a, I'm a trench guy. The more I learn about football, the more I become a trench guy every year. I really – that's the – I lean that way. It's not to say you can't upgrade other spots. Of course you can. But for me, I'm a, I'm a trench dude. Like, I feel like uh, if you, if you're like in your draft room and you're sitting there and you got, and you're like on the clock at 19 and you can't decide, you're like, oh man, what do we do? What do we do? Your default should just be close your eyes and take the highest drafted guy in the trenches on our board. Don't even matter what spot, just close your eyes and take him. That's a right guard, mm. a nose tackle, uh, edge rusher, just take him. Because you you can just never have too many guys there. You just never can on either side of the ball. Um, so I feel like that's always where you go. I really feel like today or this season was uh, an indictment of the situation up front on the O line in particular. They just can't they can't have an identity because of all the inconsistency up at that with that group. And today was another issue. Uh, but yeah, D line same thing. Like it's they haven't had a when was the last time the Seahawks had a tier one pass rusher. Like really tier one, like for real, like I, for, for like for me, for example, I think let's see, let's let's walk through this real quick, Chris. Before we go to the next question, for me, the tier one pass rushers are in the interior. I think there's only two. I got Chris Jones, and then I got AD. There's two. Aaron Donald in the interior. Yeah. Yep, Aaron Donald. Yes, thank you. Um, and then on the on the edge, I would probably say tier one is in no order: T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons. Max Crosby is probably my, my, my tier one. If you want Hassan Reddick in there, that's fine. And then sounds legit. Yeah. And then, yeah, if, if we're missing someone, sorry, but that feels like my tier, tier one. And then tier two, you got like 
Bosa's and the other Bosa and uh, Khalil Max probably in there, Trey Hendrickson, Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, there's some other guys. You guys get the point. I don't. The Seahawks need a tier one guy. Don't care what position. They need a tier one guy. And they haven't had that. Go get that. I don't care what position the guy plays. Go get it. Actually, I do care. Make sure it's not a safety. But other than that, go get it. You know, like when was the last time the Seahawks had an all pro offensive lineman? Go get that, please. You know what I'm saying? So that's the, that's where I start. That's where I start. I'd probably do that every year. The Seahawks, the Seahawks, if they literally only drafted offensive and defensive linemen for an entire draft, I'd be like, yep, you get an A. Was Jay Jerry was an all pro when he had 10 and a half sacks in 2018, wasn't no. So I no, guess I don't think the Seahawks have had an all pro defensive lineman. I don't know if they have under Pete. I'd have to go look. I doubt it though. It was by committee, huh? While we go through the Frank, next Frank question. Clark, he had 13 and 2018. I think Frank he looked the that year. Yeah, there yeah, there's some monsters. Like you said, that's it is what it is. But the next question we got comes from Brett Peterson. Thoughts on linebacker and safety play this season? Mm. Yeah, inconsistent. And I, I can say that for every position, literally. But, yeah, inc- inconsistent. Just not 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 solid enough. We get some good JB games. We get some bad JB games. We get some good Bobby games. We get some not-so-good Bobby games. We get some good Quandre games. We get some bad Quandre. And, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, bad's probably a little strong. But we get some good, and then we get some not as good. Same thing with Jamal. We get good. We get not as good. Like, Jamal is not just terrible. I feel like Jamal gets a little bit of bad rap in that regard. But, like I said, he's not doing himself. He's putting the target on his back, so he's opening himself to more of that scrutiny. Um, But either way, we get some good spoon games, and we get some not-so-good spoon games, sometimes in the same game. Like, I feel like spoon at nickel is noticeably different than spoon at left corner, for instance. We get some good reek games, and we get some not-so-good reek games. You know, it, I feel like, or excuse me, that's DB, that's, that's corners, but you guys get the point. I feel like you could say the inconsistency thing about everyone. It's not just those groups. I feel like when you look at the safety group in particular, I feel like, um, and I do feel like this part falls more on Jamal than the other two, um, but they're also included, is you're just not getting the return on investment. The Seahawks, I think, have the most expensive safety room in the league. When you watch the Seahawks, you don't you don't get the best safety room in the league. And that's what you should get. You should get the return on your investment. You just don't see that. That, I think, is the problem. And I don't know everybody's safety room, but I don't think that right now they're even performing as a, as a, as a room like a top 10 safety room. And that's a huge, it's a huge problem. I'd have to go back and look at every safety room. But I feel like we can all kind of agree it ain't, it ain't what the dollar amount says it should be. You know what I mean? And that's not... That's clearly not good enough. The linebacker room, you probably are getting the bang for your buck there because uh, you're not spending a lot. Um, but in general, the whole both of those position groups have been inconsistent. Tackling, coverage stuff. Like today was not a good day for the safety room. Yeah, guys giving up touchdowns, guys missed tackles, guys taking bad angles. It's just not a good day. Not a good day. Everybody's got to do their job. And everybody's not doing their job consistently. That's, again, the whole unit. Hell, Chris, that's the whole team. <laughs> but we got access to linebackers safeties. Yeah, no, it really is the whole team. And I'll tell you that they're an inconsistent team. Some days the defense is good, sometimes the offense is good. Sometimes it flips. Sometimes neither is good. You know what I mean? It's just a whole inconsistent team. So uh, I feel like that applies to every position group, not just linebackers and safeties. This next one comes from at 
DB Hawks 19. I see an out for Jamal Adams, dead money of 20 plus million dollars, but thought I heard it would be less than 20 million. Is it true? And how much money will Brooks get? Jordan Brooks, that is. Oh, um, yeah. On, on Jordan, uh, he's probably a. F- Probably an eight-figure guy a year. Jordan's really good, which makes it um, – yeah, he's really good. That's all I'll say. I would say he's an eight-figure guy probably, so that's like $10 million plus, I would say. That's what I would get, Jordan. Jordan's really good. I don't know what the linebacker market – I feel like the inside guys didn't get paid a ton last year in the offseason. I don't think Jordan's like a reset-the-market Shaquille Leonard, Fred Warner type of guy because I think that market's up to about $20 million. Um, don't I would not I wouldn't do that probably or I don't anticipate that happening, but I do think he's in the ten million dollar or not ten million just five uh, eight eight figures. What is Quan, what did Quandre's deal make? I think it was like thirteen or something. I could see Jordan in that range. Young cat, fast cat, versatile cat can rush the passer, can cover, um, pretty good tackler. Yeah, I, 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 that's probably where I'd go with Jamal. Here's the I haven't given that Jordan one too much thought before today. That was a good question. Uh, with Jamal, if you want to just cut him uh, or trade him or whatever before June first, uh, it's a dead money cap. It's a dead money hit of twenty point eight million. That is correct. Um, to my man who asked the question, you only save six mil, guys. That's not a lot of savings. However, we've seen guys get moved for less, so there is that. Hmm. The reason that you have heard that it could be less than twenty million is what you if you do what's called a post June one cut, which means you can cut a guy in like February and declare that hey we're cutting him now, but really this we're, we're, he, we would cut him on June second, and what that means is you take that dead money hit and you spread it out. So instead of being a twenty million dollar dead uh, dead money hit, you get a ten point four or whatever for the next two years. Um, it changes your cap savings a little bit. I think the cap saving goes up $10 million since you're cutting that $20 million in half. So you could do that. You could designate him as like a post-June 1. I think that goes to saving. Damn, Chris, I just did a bunch of math. It goes from, what, 6 to probably like $16 million, something like that. So, yes, the answer to the question, there is an out. There is an out. I don't know if they take that. I will say this. On Jamal and Chris would probably agree on this. I don't think... If they move on from Mall, it would be for the reasons for reasons that don't have to do with football. I don't think it because because of any tweets or anything he says to the media or anything like that. If they do, it'd be a football decision, which I think is what it oh. should be. I, I've been watching be the pure. film. It's been a rough season for your boy. Yeah, uh, boy. if it, if it, if it, yeah, if it's football, as I know, we are we we are Jamal the Jamal Adams can cover fan club here. Um, at least we were. I'm jumping off that, but. Uh, yeah, it will be purely for football reasons. I can't stress enough that I don't think – I feel very strongly that these guys would not be like, wow, man, he called that dude's wife ugly. Let's get rid of him. No, I'm not going to do that. They've kept guys who've done way worse things. You know, yes. don't got to dive into all of them, but they have. So um, it will be for football reasons. I feel very confident about that. I feel like everyone should keep that in mind. A couple tweets and some bad press conferences is not going to get a guy shipped out of town for a dead, dead money hit of 10-plus million. No, 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 no. It's got to be football reasons. This next one comes from Eric at Tweets Are Dumb. Speaking (laughs) of Jamal Adams, I see a lot of people saying get rid of him, while at the same time, want to start over with a new coach. Is the current staff using Adams in the best way? I don't watch New York Jets often, at least when Jamal was there. 
Do you know how they used him when he was in New York? Yeah, it wasn't exact. It looked a little bit like this. I think part of the difference this year is because Jamal's knee is not all the way there. It's not. He has said it. We can all see it. He's not moving like him is what it is. Um, that's it. Guys play when they're not themselves all the time. And we got to judge you by what you put out there, unfortunately. You know, Tyler wasn't himself after a broken leg. Quandre wasn't himself after a broken leg. DK played with a broken foot a couple years ago. Gino's arm, you guys seen it. Go to Gino's Twitter. He posted a picture of his arm. That joint looked disgusting. It was like he got bit by a bear. But if you're healthy enough, if you're healthy enough to play, judge you on your play. Is what it is. It's the nature of the game. Um, so I think that's part of it. Whether how he's being used, independent of that, if his knee ain't there, he ain't gonna perform, no matter how it's being used. Um, but I, I think the usage is fine. Like I don't think I don't think like sending him on more blitzes or like they're putting him near the line of scrimmage. Um, you can't just make him a linebacker. He's like 200 whatever pounds, right? You just can't do that. You know, he's not going to hold up consistently over a season, particularly with a bad knee. Um, so, yeah, I don't think the usage is, is the issue. I think for a lot of the guys on defense, it's it feels like it's mental or trust. I feel like guys just aren't trusting it, whatever it is. The guy next to him, themselves, the scheme, I don't know. But I feel like they have the talent the calls and the scheme are putting them near the guy with the ball and the plays are just not being made or, or, and they're just, or they're getting flags, jumping off sides or hitting guys in the face. Like, I don't think that's, that's a scheme thing. I think that you can, you can look at Jamal and wonder that, but really, if you guys think about it, if someone's wide open, it really doesn't feel like that many times. It's like, Oh man, look at that great call against that coverage. Sometimes it's just like, nah, bro, flip your hips, find the ball, you know? get lower than the other guy, you know, it feels like stuff like that more than it feels like, Ooh, man, this scheme stinks. This next one comes from at Hawks and a blue sky. Why no Kenny Mack? <laughs> oh yeah. Kenny McIntosh didn't play again. Guys, I'm not going to lie. I really don't think I, I see why we asked about this in the other games where Ken was hurt. Zach was hurt. I feel like, no, Ken played today. Zach played today. DJ's their third down guy. I really don't think that Kenny was going to come in and make much of a difference. I could see a, yeah, man, just throw the rookie out there and see what he can do. Bill you. But, I mean, look what Ken and Zach can do. Ken took a play that should have been nothing and made it 27 yards. He didn't do that. I'm not taking him off the field. Look at Zach on them two big runs. Like, I'm not taking him off the field um, to, to experiment. You know what I'm saying? I'm not taking him off. The, maybe in a blowout, all right, cool. Guy gets hurt, all right, cool. But I really don't feel like this is very similar to the QB for me in that, guys, there's other problems. I want to see Kenny play too, but that is low, currently low on the list of things that would make the Seahawks offense better. Unless he can play right guard, <laughs> that it, I, don't, I don't think it's much – it's very urgent. Maybe you throw him out there on a couple third downs. I don't know, but – yeah, I don't think that's like an urgent thing they got to switch up, particularly if Ken and Zach are healthy. This next one comes from Dave DeVoe. Brandon Aubrey makes 750 bands a season. 28 straight to start his career. Field goals, that is. Myers makes $5.2 a year. They extended him. The Seahawks did. Why pay him that money when better kickers are available? 60-yarder and 
yarder were made tonight by Brandon Aubrey. That's the kicker for the Cowboys, yeah? Yep. Yeah, I mean, can't fully compare a guy who kicks in a dome to a guy that kicks outside as part of that. But you guys know me. I ain't about to get up here and defend no kickers. Never kick, brother. That's what you should do, for real. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm big never kick train. We had a never kick moment today. They ran a fake punt. It was beautiful until dude decided to just take Artie Burns' legs out. That looked dirty. Bro, that he, looked dirtier he, than what DK really, did. Did you see the replay? Yeah, I saw it live and the replay. That was crazy. He tripped. He took right? Artie's knees out. No, but he, no, he took Artie's knee out. No, we're, we're, fake punt? we're going to. Yes, it wasn't even a fake punt. Bro realized that there was, well, whatever. The biggest thing is he that, tripped. That is a fake fell. punt. Yeah, you're right. But he tripped and fell, Mike. It, he didn't purposely tr- watch his right leg. He like he's trying to make a move to get in front of him, and he literally falls over his own feet. I tweeted and said, "Bro tripped over his own feet and got flagged for illegal block." That hurts. I was laughing well, my he, ass off. That, that is even if it that's fair. Even if it's inadvertent. Oh yeah, man, inadvertent. Already knees out. That was crazy. But it was it was terrible. an accident though. Bro was. Okay, that's not the point. But anywho, yes, whatever. Yeah, they had that. They had that never kick moment. The other never kick. Pete Carroll just. I forget what Pete said about it, but man, not going for that fourth oh, and two was so. Sick. I I understand he his big expert. I'm going to summarize it. He didn't feel like if they, he didn't want to be responsible for. Hey, if we as the Seahawks don't get it, I give them the ball at the forty, and their offense has been pretty much rolling. I'd rather pin them. And see if our defense can make a play. And you would say, well, Pete, your defense has been stinking all year. Why even do that? Just go for it. Pete didn't want to risk it. He thought it was better for them to go march down the field and try to score than to give them short field if they don't get that first down. I, I just hate how just, Pete, I, I know. Well, here's, I know. here's the, it's the process. I just hate defaulting to, all right, what if we don't get it? Well, what if you do? What if you do? You know, that's a, I'm re, I have the transcript in front of me of Pete's answer, and yeah, he says I didn't. He said I didn't want the game to be decided right there. You know, you give him the ball on the forty nine, the forty yard line. It's a tough game or a tight game. I figure we won't kick the ball and play defense and play it like where you just don't give him the ball at the forty something yard line. He's kind of rambling here. Maybe there's some typos, but he says, I mean, you're giving them that the whole first half if you do that. I'm always fine about that one. Meaning, I'm always fine about his decision. No mention of what would happen if they got it. I just feel like it's so strange that this guy is so overly positive and optimistic about everything until it's time to try to move the sticks. You know we'll what I mean? Be He's been better at it this year, to be fair. Like, it, I, I, do, I don't have the numbers, but I do think Pete's been a little bit more aggressive in these go-for-it situations, I think. However, I just don't like how you don't even – it seems like you didn't even think about what happens if you got it. Everything was just framed as if, what if you don't? And I just I, I just feel like you can't look at it that way. It's, like it's a bad way to look at it. If you believe in your offense, I mean, and if you believe in your defense that you're going to get a stop, uh, go for it, man. I just don't like logic. Or you don't even always have to go for it, even though I'm team never kick. This was a question about Jason Myers. We're just not answering it. But I feel like now, I feel like the more important thing is never kick, but also, dog, every fourth down can't be framed as, well, damn, what happens if we don't get it? No, man. You need to also consider what happens if you do. You do, man. That's important. Anyway, the next question, man. I just don't like how he thinks that way. I just don't. Next one comes from at Rock Paper Cloud. Can you ID things that the Seahawks did right that they hadn't before? Oh, boy. 
Not really. Uh, they've always been good at play action. They were good at that today. That little three play sequence in the what was that the third quarter? That was great stuff. Um, got like a little fluky play from Ken, but then came right back and attacked. I think Greenlaw had got hurt, and then so they brought in another linebacker. And then I don't know if they went right at him, but they had no up the sideline. Um, and then the very next play was um, the, the trick one to Colby. I was like, oh, Shane's back. Good for him. But those were all play action. They were different play actions, but they were all play action. They've always done that well, though. Um, and that's that's why, because the answer to this question is no, I feel like that's what's so alarming about the result. There was nothing today that I was like, huh, yeah, no, at least they worked on that. I, just, I didn't see it. Like, for real, they were just not – Nothing I felt like the consistency is not there on either side of the ball. And consistency doesn't mean score every time. No one does that. Like, that's just not. But it's just, you guys know what I mean. It's like some some drives, they're tackling. Some drives, the guys are running wide open. Some guys, some drives, the pass rush is there, whether they're getting sacks or not. You know what I'm saying? Then on offense, like, all right, sometimes we can play action. Sometimes we can use the tight ends. Sometimes there were opening holes in the running game. Sometimes guys are just getting whipped. You know, and Ken's getting cracked. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, I didn't watch this game. Not Granted, I didn't watch the film yet, but I didn't watch this game live and be like, yeah, you know, clearly they worked on that. Whereas last week I was like, oh, clearly they worked on their third downs, you know, because of how they, well, they played against Dallas. Today yeah. I'm like, oh, it looks like they didn't work on anything. It looks like just went out there and decided not to block or tackle. It's terrible. It's just, it's just, I know that wasn't the case, but that's what it looked like. You can't argue with it. You know, I and a sky don't lie, man. This what it looked like today. This next one comes from Rosebug underscore 22 is second question. At what point do they need to move on from DK? Yes, he's talented, but his constant pouting and acting out every time they lose or he doesn't have a good game is toxic. Yeah, this is the one. See how I didn't call this a good question? Because I actually reject the, the theme of this and that he's toxic. I think toxic is about what happens internally. I feel like we've seen toxic. I feel like we've seen when a guy is in the building and his presence is, has a negative impact on the, the product. Uh, it has a negative impact Monday through Saturday and that bleeds into Sunday. Like we've seen that, right? Like we saw that with like Percy Harvin, for example. He got he had to go. He had to go. He was getting in fights with his teammates. Guys resented, resented him. They didn't like that. He got vaulted up the depth chart and uh, and like how he kicked it, it was tons of things. Go on and on about it, but that was an example of is it tox toxicity? Tox mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. That was an example of some a toxic situation. We've seen we've seen others. I don't think we need to rattle them all off or or go to them. But the other one is is Russ, most recent. That was just an untenable situation. It became untenable. He had to go, um, or he had to go, or Peter John had to go. Like clearly, Jody chose up. We've seen that. DK is not that. Not even that he's just not to that extreme. It's just quite literally just not that. Like when I talk to guys, um, and granted, I haven't had a ton of conversations with other people in the building about DK, just here and there. But when I talk to people in the building about things that are wrong, trust me, they, if you want to talk toxic, it ain't number 14. Uh, yeah, some of the post-play stuff, guys are like, dog, what do you do? But it's football. If anybody can understand when a guy gets upset about something and does something, it's other football players. And um, to be clear, that's not what happened with DK today. He thought, hey, bro, why you push me in the back of the head? Now I broke my neck before. What's up with you, dog? Like, that's legit. You know what I'm saying? That's legit. Um, and other guys feel that way, too. You know, coaches, too, and all that stuff. I think we've seen toxic. The rust situation was an example. I think 
Hersey is like, like Seahawks fans can feel when it's legit. Like, okay, this guy has to get out of here. DK is far, far, far from that. Like, I would probably guess, I don't think he's at this point either, but like, it feels like Jamal's closer to that than DK would be. Honestly, mm. I feel like DK is not in the toxic category. He's really, he's really not. There's other problems wrong with the Seahawks systemically. I don't think DK falls in that category. This next one comes from big ass eyebrows. I feel today's <laughs> I feel today showed the value of two players, Gino and Spoon. Is that a correct assessment? Uh maybe Gino to some extent, but I mean I put some of the numbers in my story. I mean, Drew was about and, and look at how Drew played against the 49ers and how versus how Gino has played against the 49ers. It was about the same across the board. Some of Drew's numbers were better. Actually, a handful of Drew's numbers were better. EPA, pass rating, yards per attempt, passing yards, a bunch of stuff that was better. Um, it was all about the same. It really was. Not to say that they're the same player, but you know, you you put up you put put up both of them out there against a largely the same Niners defense, and it looked largely the same. Uh, so I don't think this game necessarily says see Gino. Man, they need Gino. This was more like a C. Everyone else is bad too. Um, <laughs> Spoon, though, I felt though. I, I, I feel that. I do think Spoon at nickel was a legit difference maker. I mean, he got hurt on a making a difference. He got hurt on a PBU um, that he almost probably would have intercepted if he just didn't get cracked in the back. Um, so yeah, I, I think today, if I had to pick of those two, I'd say closer to being like, hey, look, see, they need Spoon versus like C. They needed seven out there, and they would have got it done. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that was the uh, the case based on what we saw on film, or at least live today. This next one comes from Blueberry Chuck. Is there actual reason for encouragement in the last two L's? Mm, not really. I do think that the only thing that's like it kind of gives me a little encouragement for the Eagles game in particular is that the Eagles also are not very good. Like I, I felt this way for a little bit, uh, because their defense is garbage. Like their defense is worse than the Seahawks defense, and that's saying a lot. Because the Seahawks are pretty bad, uh, statistically, and uh, film shows it too. So no, I don't think anything really is like, huh? Yeah, no, guys, might have some here. No, 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 no. If anything, I'm getting more pessimistic each week. The only thing that made me feel better about Monday night was watching the Sunday night game. <laughs> And being like, see, the Eagles don't tackle either. That was it. Because in the Eagles offense, too, I'm not super thrilled about. Because we've seen them play the last two teams that the Seahawks have played. And they've struggled. Drew Locke moved the ball better against the Niners defense than Jalen Hurts and them did. Really? That's that's alarming if I'm Philly. We just saw Geno Smith carve up a Dallas defense that Jalen and them couldn't score a touchdown against. It's alarming, but again, I think that, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's bad. But I think that's more about Philly than it is Seattle, honestly. Nothing about the last two losses has been like, yeah, yeah, you know, there's it's something here. No. If anything, I've just been like, well, Philly not that good either. That's it. This next one comes from Scott Nelson. Why do opponents the Seahawks face have no trouble moving the ball downfield, but the Seahawks, they can't do it? Oh, that's that's it. It's an easy one. Other teams are better and better prepared and plan and plan with more effort and plan more in sync. You know, they, they're they're being they're being more on one page. Where to Sean McDermott? Oh, my goodness. 
terrible. Uh, yeah, oh I know that was do a whole pot on that quote. That was that was crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really I really think that other teams other teams are being better between the headsets for real, particularly on offense. I really th- I'm really not high on Seattle's uh on Seattle's like whole offense top down. I'm really not. I feel like they got the pieces and they're just not being they're just not being used properly. So yeah, I I I think that that's the easy answer. The headsets. Monday through Saturday is where the Seahawks are losing um, these games. Actually, I shouldn't say that totally. I think Monday through Saturday is where they're losing these games offensively, for sure. Mm. That's where that's where I feel like. I feel like they come into the game and look like the other team was had a better plan, not only executed it but just had a better one. Like there's some games where I just question the Seahawks' plan on offense in particular. This next one comes from Young Slick X. It's simple. Where do the Seahawks go from here? Oh man, uh, that's a good question. Where do the Seahawks go from here? Well, they need to go to the mirror. They really do need to go to the mirror, and it's just like, am I getting the job done? Am I doing my job? And for everyone, that's different. For a long snapper, that's different than the kicker, than the offensive coordinator, to the O line coach. To whoever, to whoever's job it is to put all the cut-ups together of all the other teams' third downs. Whoever it is. Everybody really needs to do that. And be like, if I'm not doing it, if I'm not, if the answer is no, then why not? Why am I not doing my job good enough? And if the answer is like if a guy goes in the mirror and be like, Yep, I am doing my job, cool. Why aren't the results there? Like there's a then there's a follow-up. Like, really, I think that is. I don't think. There's some scheme stuff that you can change with this team and all that. Um, but I think really it comes down to, in a lot of cases, everyone, whether you wear a headset and a polo or you wear pads, looking at yourself and being like, yo, man, am I am I doing good enough? And if you feel like your answer is yes, then ask yourself why the results aren't there consistently because no one's been consistent. Um, ask yourself why the results ain't been there. And if you ask yourself that and you're like, Dang, I'm not. I'm not good enough. I haven't been doing good enough. Ask yourself why, for real. I feel like everyone needs to start there. That sounds like a cop out answer, but I mean, it's hard to just go through everything that's wrong. I mean, we did for 90 minutes, but for real, man. I feel like if everyone does that and be honest with themselves, maybe you'll get some things changed. Because there's no way everyone can feel like, "Yep, I'm doing my job every week." You know, that is what it is. There's no way. Now, and that that's 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 head coach, that's coordinators, that's everybody. Pete has openly admitted, like, yep, I didn't do my part this week. We weren't ready. Dog, what? <laughs> that's crazy. You know, no, for real. That's crazy to me. That's come on, man. Like, oh, yeah, we, I didn't have our guys ready to play on Thanksgiving. Again? The Niners again? Of all the teams to not be ready against? Are you kidding me? It's crazy. Um, yeah, it's like I mean, the defense come out not ready to play multiple times in a row. Talk about starting faster every week. First play is 70 yards. Come on, man. <laughs> what are we doing? The last time I'm not it's crazy. The pod's gone too long anyway. Not too long, but you guys get them. It's just I feel like that's what everybody needs to do. Sorry, that's the answer to that. Let's 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 move on. I could go all day. Yeah, we got two more, Mike. This one comes from mid-July, baby. <laughs> these want- quit, dog, these Twitter names <laughs> feel like they're fake. Oh, this is funny. He wants to play a game. Okay. Pick a quarterback from the draft that best fits the Seahawks. If you don't. 
I'm kidding. I'm trying to do my best song impression. Say, it ain't working like out. Jigsaw, dog. You scared me. I'm in a hotel by myself. Don't do that. So, yeah, he wants us to pick a quarterback from the draft that best fits the Seahawks. You know, you, I haven't really dived in. I haven't really dived in on the film study and reading articles on these quarterbacks. But just off what I've seen, it's got to come from someone in the Pac-12. I know Mike disagrees. He's, he's got someone dirty south. But I'll go with between Bo Nix and Michael Penix. I honestly go with whoever, you know. It don't matter. I would say one of those two. I think, I mean, there's a lot of problems in, with the Seahawks right now, which we alluded to for the last 90 minutes. But if someone could come in and just get the offense rolling and keep it afloat, one of those two I would go with. Who you got, Mike? Yeah, I'm going to go with um, Jaden Daniels over down at LSU, who I do think that's the guy from Arizona State, right? Didn't he start in the Pac-12? So maybe technically I'm picking a Pac-12 guy. Um, but, yeah, the reason I would go for that is, if you have years and years and years of just not being able to run the ball and you switch out coordinators, they switched out old line coaches, you know, change running backs. I feel like, and I, I shouldn't say the Seahawks can't run the ball, but you guys get the point. I feel like one way to do that running the ball sometimes is about the numbers. The way to change the numbers in the run game is to make the quarterback part of the run game. It's not super sustainable because then your quarterback takes hits, but that dude down there in LSU can run boy. He can run. So put him in there. You get the zone read thing going, change the numbers. I feel like they could do that with Geno too. Maybe he just doesn't want to, but like it basically can't, their shotgun runs, I feel like are kind of crap because they can't really have the, the quarterback be part of the math. It's like you have, no one has to respect the QB fake when it, the way the Seahawks have done it with Geno and, and with Drew for the most part. Whereas I just saw Baker do a quarterback keep today on the one yard line and run over somebody and score, right? Like, and he made the wrong read. But it's like you, because he put that on tape today, the other teams have to respect it. And he's done that before, but you got to get the point. So, yeah, I, I like the running quarterback just for that reason, if no other one. This last one comes from Corduroy Orbison at underscore Proto. Hey, man, they get creative out here in these streets. What's the best way to honor Pete's last games with the team? He's done so much. <laughs> feels like fans should say goodbye in style. Oh, man, this is a lovely question to end on. It, my man has already decided pizza out of here. He's like, yo, man, let, let's, get the, let's get the video tribute ready. It's, it's coming. Tell the video department, get that cooking. Go find all the best heartwarming moments. That's crazy. Um, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. Not unfortunate. But in the world where we're in, like, the farewell tour kind of era, you know, Kobe got his. LeBron's going to get one. I think Derek Jeter kind of got one as well. Um Everyone kind of knew that was like Big Ben's last run in Pittsburgh. I don't feel like we're going to know ahead of time that it's Pete's last game, whenever that is, whether that's this year or next year, whatever. We just won't really know, I don't think. So we won't get to do that. However, if we do, he has to throw a challenge flag in the last game. I'm talking like just an egregious one. Like that That has to be part of it. That has to be part of it. Um Maybe he like should throw some gum at a ref. I think this is all part of what he should do. Maybe everyone chews gum. Maybe everyone wears monarchs to the game. I'm not really sure. But if we know ahead of time, maybe maybe that maybe that's part of it. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I, I just don't think we'll know. I don't think we'll get like a he'll be a lame duck kind of walking dead man walking type of situation. He'll it will feel like oh yeah no he's gonna go in there and do it and then whenever it is he'll retire or whatever. It'll feel sudden I think. 
um, at least more sudden than like, oh, we knew this was the, like the last time. Like with Russ, for example, what was Russ's last game? That Cardinals game? Maybe not the Cardinals game, that Lions game. That last Lions game at home with Russ. We could kind of feel that that might be his last game. I think he was even asked about it. I think Bobby, too, um, might have kind of had that feeling. But I don't think we'll have that with Pete. Maybe if they're already eliminated by that Arizona game, perhaps. Um, this The Arizona game this year, that is. Perhaps. That would probably be it. Maybe that's there. And if so, yeah, everyone wear Monarchs or get the video tribute ready or maybe he says a speech at halftime or not at halftime, sorry. Post game, uh, I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, he he has earned that. I do think he has earned something whenever that is the last thing. I think he's earned that. Harbaugh in Baltimore has earned that whenever that is. Bill Belichick has damn sure earned that. And then, yeah, Mike T in Pittsburgh. They've all earned that. I feel like they're all in the same little space, like I mentioned earlier, except for Harbaugh right now because they might go win the, the championship. But other than that, those other three, those other two guys with Pete, they all should get some type of thing when it's over because they, they, did, they did earn that. This is the best coach in franchise history. There it is. Well, we want to thank you guys for rocking with us on this long episode of Seahawks Man to Man. We appreciate all the love and support. If you haven't yet and you're listening, go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. Just type in Seahawks M-A-N, the number two man, the Seahawks Man to Man, and go up subscribe. We'll come back to you guys later this week with our standout plays of the week. So Ooh, stay tuned for that. It'll be tough. Well, it's going to be tough, but we'll, how about this? We'll have plays for you from that game against the Niners. Yes, Definitely have plays yes, that we can we discuss, break down, good and bad. So stay tuned for that. Mike, is there anything you'd like to add before we get out of here? Yes, my appreciation, as always. We appreciate you guys for listening, for subscribing. I forgot to tell you guys to do that. My bad. But subscribing, listening, liking, sharing, asking questions. Thank you so much. We appreciate all the love and the support guys have a good week stay safe out there and we will talk to you guys later in the week ahead of seahawks and eagles peace the headlines remind us daily The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com